1: On this episode of Newt's World, the outcome of Super Tuesday was substantially different than what we had predicted just days before. Joe Biden has emerged as the Democratic frontrunner with Bernie Sanders in second place. Biden's first place win in the South Carolina primary catapulted him back into the race. With Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Bloomberg all dropping out of the race and endorsing Biden, he gained momentum and big wins on Super Tuesday. We'll talk about the Super Tuesday results and the state of the presidential race and what I think about both Biden and Sanders and who they are as people and as candidates. This is certainly a different Super Tuesday podcast than I thought it would be a week ago when we first started talking about doing it. It's really one of those examples of how fast the world is changing compounded by what's happening in China and the coronavirus and all the other things that are going on around us that you would not have predicted. Let's go back to Friday when we all thought we knew it was going to happen. Biden was going to win narrowly in South Carolina with Sanders doing well and with several other candidates doing well enough to stay in the race. Then we were going to go to Super Tuesday where Bernie Sanders had the momentum and was going to do remarkably well. And we were all sort of curious whether Bloomberg's $500 million had bought him anything. That was Friday. Saturday, we suddenly saw the actual results. I'm always struck with a lesson that David Broder, the great political reporter at the Washington Post, taught me many, many years ago when he said, you know, everybody will write and analyze for a year before Iowa, and none of it will matter because in the end, It's what the American people do, and you don't know what they're going to do, and then you end up having to analyze them rather than predict them. Well, this was a similar case. Biden had said all along that South Carolina was his firewall. It turned out, guess what? South Carolina was his firewall. And he had very strong support from the leading Democrat in South Carolina, Congressman Clyburn, who was very senior in the Democratic leadership in the House, and it all came together for him. He ended up in South Carolina with 48.7% of the vote, which was enough to pick up 38 delegates. This complicated Democratic Party process that you have proportional delegates if you get over 15%. And if you get under 15%, you disappear, and your potential delegates are redistributed to the people who are over 15%. So Bernie Sanders who came in second, but a distant second. This was, I think, a big surprise to everybody. We thought maybe Biden would win by five or six. Well, Biden won by 29. I mean, it's an amazing margin because Bernie Sanders only got 19.8%. Now, because everybody else was below Sanders, 19.8% got him 15 delegates. So Biden was going to come out of South Carolina with 38 delegates. Sanders was going to come out with 15 But then you suddenly had the dominoes fall. Tom Steyer, in a moment of rationality, realized that if he'd spent all that money, I think it ultimately was about $220 million or $250 million. And he only got 11.3% of the vote. And South Carolina was where he had staked everything. And he was a tough businessman and had been a realist because he said, you know, I'm out of here. It no longer makes any sense for me to run. At the same time, Pete Buttigieg, who had had a brief period of being the media's fair-haired candidate, collapsed down to 8.2 percent, made no penetration in the African-American community, simply couldn't get them to decide that they would trust him. And he dropped out of the race. And then a little while later, he endorsed Biden. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Warren got 7.1 percent and clearly has been losing momentum for the last couple of months, but raises a lot of money. She had an extra wind come in when she began beating up Bloomberg and the debates, and people liked her beating up Bloomberg. So she actually raised a ton of money. She was helped by Bloomberg's existence because she looked tough and smart. So all of a sudden, late Saturday night and all day Sunday, people began to rethink how they felt about the race. Senator Klobuchar of Minnesota got almost no votes in South Carolina and followed Judge's lead. But she immediately said, I am out of the race. I am endorsing Biden. And by the way, I'll be in Texas with Biden on Sunday at a rally because I want people to know how strongly I am for Biden. This was a huge boost to Biden in Minnesota, where her endorsement really mattered. So all of a sudden on Monday, you have Biden who has no money. I think seven of the states that were voting he hadn't even been in. He had almost no field operation, but he had... A huge wave of earned media. He had people paying attention because all of a sudden there was dynamic action underway. Beto O'Rourke came out of total obscurity and endorsed Biden, who announced that O'Rourke, who wants to confiscate guns, would be in charge of the gun part of his administration. And so suddenly Biden has momentum. And that meant the Super Tuesday was going to be substantially different than people thought it was going to be. Coming up, we'll take a look at the state by state results of Super Tuesday.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
2: This is Uncanny USA. That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
1: I'm going to go through the states because I want you to see what happened and how it happened. I'm doing it alphabetically. So in Alabama, which has a very large black vote in the Democratic primary, Biden did as he's done everywhere else. He had 63.2%. Sanders, who by this stage is the only viable candidate other than Bloomberg, who was still technically in the race, Sanders gets 16%. So the result is Biden picks up 40 delegates in Alabama. Sanders picks up seven. And remember, the delegate count really matters because that's how you're going to decide who wins in July at the national convention. Arkansas, again, a state with a substantial African-American population. Biden's at 40.5. Sanders is at 22.4. And for the first time, Bloomberg shows up. He's at 16.7. Now, he has spent a ton of money, but notice that puts Bloomberg above the threshold. You have to get 15% to get delegates. So lo and behold, Biden got 16 delegates in Arkansas. Sanders got eight delegates in Arkansas. And Bloomberg gets four. Now, remember, this is a guy who spent about $500 million. Imagine you were in his headquarters watching these results trickle in, and you were one of the staff he'd paid an immense amount of money to. You have a candidate who just clearly has bombed. Bloomberg is a case study in the old advertising rule that great advertising can't sell a terrible product. Bloomberg and the paid ads look terrific. But when Bloomberg went to that first debate and... The opening round was Elizabeth Warren pounding on him. And he stood there like a deer in the headlights and looked like he really was a little Mike, to use one of Donald Trump's many names for him. He just stood there, didn't know how to respond. Elizabeth Warren raised a lot of money out of this. She grew because she looked tough and direct and like she was in command. And Bloomberg, who's supposed to be this great, tough New York mayor, suddenly looked like he ought to be at a Rotary Club meeting but he sure shouldn't be in a presidential debate. So that led to the collapse of Bloomberg. And again, it's proof that earned media beats paid media, authenticity beats slickness, and that people actually are pretty smart. Now we get to California, which was the golden moment for Sanders. But again, while he's winning in California, he's not winning it big enough. And Biden is doing better in California than anybody expected. So the only two people who are going to get delegates out of California are Sanders and Biden. So at this stage in counting the votes, Sanders has got 135 delegates in California. Biden has got 83. In Colorado, Sanders had a pretty decent evening. He got 36% of the vote and 13 delegates. Biden got 23% of the vote and got five delegates. And once again, Bloomberg shows up and his millions got him 20.8%. And he gets five delegates. But think about what he's spending. I calculated, I think he spent $25 million per delegate. Now, Colorado was a bright spot for Sanders in an otherwise pretty bleak evening. In Colorado, by the way, Warren finally picks up some delegates. She gets three because she got 17% of the vote. In Maine, you have virtually a tie, and it leads to a tie in delegates. Seven delegates for Biden, seven for Sanders. 34% for Biden, 32.9% for Sanders. But that's New England. It's Sanders' home base. You would have thought he'd have carried Maine. Massachusetts, again, Biden comes in first, 33.4%. He has 32 delegates. Sanders comes in second with 26.8%. He gets 27 delegates. And Warren, in her home state, is running third at 21.6% and getting only 17 delegates. In North Carolina, which again goes back to a southern state, large African-American population, you get Biden at 35 delegates with 43% of the vote, and you get Sanders with 15 delegates at 24% of the vote. In Oklahoma, again a southern state, but not as large an African-American population, you get Biden picking up 11 delegates with 38.7%, Sanders picks up six delegates with 25.4%. But notice, Biden is gradually gathering more delegates than Sanders. And so even though Sanders is winning the biggest state, California, these other smaller states are, in fact, giving Biden ultimately a lead. And he's going to come out of Super Tuesday as the front runner in terms of number of delegates. Tennessee, again, large African-American population in the Democratic primary. Biden gets 41.7%, which gives him 21 delegates. Sanders gets 24.9%, which gets him 10 delegates. But again, you see this gradual building of momentum for Biden. Texas was actually pretty close. At the time I'm talking, there's still some more delegates to be apportioned in Texas, and all the votes not totally there yet. And in both California and Texas, it may take a good while for the final vote to come in. Utah went big for Sanders. He picked up all the delegates there. Vermont went for Sanders, but not overwhelmingly. Sanders only got fifty point seven percent. Biden actually picked up five delegates, got twenty two percent, so he's gonna have a little Biden delegation around the Vermont to sign at the convention. Finally, Virginia, where Biden did a great job, but Biden got at exactly the right moment, Senator Kane, who had been the vice presidential candidate with Hillary, and before that had been Democratic National Committee Chair, and he got the former governor, McAuliffe, both endorsed Biden at the last minute. The Virginians got the message. Biden got over 50% of the vote, 66 delegates, and that was a big win for him. So Biden is coming out of Super Tuesday as the front runner. Bloomberg has dropped out and has endorsed Biden. Elizabeth Warren has dropped out. Tulsa Gabbard has one delegate, and I don't know if she's going to stay in or not. So where are we? I always love watching TV where you have these analysts who were totally wrong last week and the week before, who are now telling you with great certainty exactly what they think. I'm telling you that I was wrong and that I'm amazed, and I'm still trying to get my head around all this. And this is in a context where the economy has a little bit of stress and where the coronavirus is a serious problem. If we're talking about the election this fall, the president has to handle the coronavirus well enough that people think he's competent, that they think he cares, and that they think that they can trust him with their lives. Sanders has a huge problem now, and the problem is that the field's now down to a two-person race. When you go out and you look at the actual result, and when people actually voted, Sanders had a very hard time getting above 35 or 40 percent. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because when you get down to a two-person race, The person who's got the biggest challenge is Sanders. It's quite clear that if it's a straight up socialist versus an Obama Democrat, Biden's goal here is to consolidate, to continue to win, and to begin to figure out a way to make Bernie happy even if he loses. Sanders, on the other hand, still wants to win. He's got to be sitting with his key people and saying, What's the attack? What's the contrast? How do we set up the argument so that we can beat Biden? And at the dynamics as it came out of Super Tuesday, Biden's going to be the nominee. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be changed. Remember, it all got changed the last five days, so it could get changed again. And there are three or four different layers of attack on Biden. At the same time, Biden has got to be thinking, do I really go out and beat up Bernie, in which case maybe it gets so bitter that he will not support me in the general? Or do I try to find a way to be nice to Bernie while he's beating me up because I'm going to need him in the general? And I think that it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle it. it's going to be very interesting to watch the debates. I mean, this next debate may be fascinating because all of a sudden these guys realize their entire lifetime of work is on the line. One of them is not going to be the Democratic nominee. You know, they've worked their whole lifetime for this moment and they don't want to give it up. So it'll be a fascinating debate, and one that I recommend you actually look at, because it's maybe as fascinating as when Bloomberg appeared for the first time, which I thought was actually the most interesting debate they've had so far, because it was like watching a large train wreck. Let me go on to the convention. The challenge that Biden has, if he gets a majority, is does he try to accommodate Sanders? And if so, what does he do? Does he give Sanders the platform, in which case he knows that the Trump people are going to take that platform and make it Biden's platform? Does he give Sanders, say, the keynote address to try to buy him in? Does he allow Sanders to pick five or six key speakers so that they're Sanders supporters? If you're Sanders, do you try to find an avenue of attack so you can cause chaos in Milwaukee and maybe... Peel enough delegates away from Biden that you can win. It's clear that Sanders is not going to go to the center. Sanders' whole reason for being is to take the Democratic Party to the hard left and make it the Socialist Party. In a sense, he has a more limited range of choices than Biden does. In either case, I would suggest that we've only seen the beginning of this game. The Trump people... Keep raising money, they keep organizing, they keep holding rallies. The president keeps focusing on being president in a way which creates a stature gap because you see the president going to India and speaking to 120,000 people while the Democrats have a debate that's pathetic. You see the president now being presidential in taking charge in a moment of national crisis. All these things, I think, increase the likelihood that Trump will get reelected. This week, Judge, Klobuchar, Bloomberg, and O'Rourke all endorsed Joe Biden. I discuss the politics of endorsing your political opponent at NewtsInnerCircle.com. It's a subscription service where I offer insights and commentary on the issues that matter to me most. Join today at NewtsInnerCircle.com. Next, why a brokered convention is no longer likely.
2: a a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kinda like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun
0: ever
3: at chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary, BDW Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18
3: plus. Hey, this is Christina Quinn.
1: At this point, I would say that there's not going to be a brokered convention. I really thought for a little while that if Bloomberg had picked up, say, 150 or 200 delegates and it stayed in the race, I thought there might be a brokered convention because I didn't quite see how anybody would get to be a majority. But when you come down to Biden and Sanders being the major candidates, it's pretty likely one of them's going to end up with a majority. And so I think that Well, many people would love to see a brokered convention, would love to see all of the old fashioned maneuvering and backroom deals and what have you. I don't think that'll happen. I think there'll be a lot of dealing, but that dealing will be about how do you put the party back together? Because clearly, if the Sanders wing of the party stayed home, the Democrats would have no possibility of beating President Trump. So they've got to find a way to unify. At the same time, They have to avoid being drugged to the left so far that they can't get back. Right now, unless things change dramatically, you have three candidates in their 70s. So you have permanent politician Biden. You have permanent ideologue Sanders, who's really not a politician. He's an ideologue. And you have a businessman-turned-politician in Trump. I think what makes it interesting is... Biden is the real representative of the establishment. Sanders represents the left-wing populist rebellion, and Trump represents the right-wing populist rebellion. And in many ways, while their solutions are different, their critique is the same. They're both outsiders. They're both people who think the current system's gotta be fixed. They would fix it differently, but neither one of them thinks the current system's fine. By contrast, Biden thinks the current system is just terrific. All of his friends are part of it. All of his lobbyists are part of it. All of his bureaucrats are part of it. All of his you know, news media friends are part of it. Biden is the quintessential insider, faced with a left-wing populist and a right-wing populist. And I think that makes it kind of fascinating to watch how this evolves over the next few weeks. If the economy stays strong, and if the president and his team can handle the coronavirus so that people feel... Secure that they're competent, that they care, and that they're getting the job done. My guess is that this election will be Trump victory of fairly large proportion, no matter which of the two guys wins, and that that's the current dynamic. But again, remember, had I done this podcast last Friday, I would have described a different world. So I'm always very cautious. I hope you find this useful. I really wanted just to give you a sweeping overview of how much the world's changed in the Democratic Party in the last five or six days. I have to say, as somebody who likes to watch this business, this is about as good as it gets. You can read more about Super Tuesday on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeart Media. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Slump. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your comments at newt at newtsworld.com. If you've been enjoying Newts World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. On the next episode of Newts World, we're going to give you an update on where we are with coronavirus around the world, and I think you'll find it fascinating and very relevant to what's happening in your life and in your community. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico...
0: Zumo Play.
3: work.